Hey everybody, Stefan Molyneux from Freedom Main. Hope you're doing well. Yes, here I am out here in my native northern European habitat of snow, ice, sleet, and, well, I guess hoarding food for winter. So, Twitter thoughts today. I think this is number five. Thanks everyone for the positive responses to Twitter thoughts. Apparently it's much better when I do, do any research and simply speak off the cuff. So, let me tell you something very interesting about life as a whole. And this is kind of like an intelligence test for people. So, when people say to you, I have a solution to a particular problem, they're usually appealing to your lizard brain or your mammal brain, certainly not to your God-given higher intellect brain, because there really isn't any such thing as a solution. All there are, my friends, are costs and benefits. And remember that. Now, I'm not talking about should we go and, you know, sit on a kitten or, or you know, steal from a, a homeless guy or anything. I'm not talking about that's moral stuff. So that's, but you know, most of the decisions we're making on a daily basis don't have any foundational moral element. They are about costs and benefits, costs and benefits. That is the reality of life. And people want to appeal to this monochromatic, black and white, simplistic approach to life where we say, aha, we have a problem called poverty. Okay, well, we'll just take from the rich and give to the poor. Boom, that's our solution. We have a problem that women are feeling, some women at least, are feeling confined in the home. I remember when I was in your usual Marxist indoctrination camp at York University back in the 90s, I had to read a book called Homeward Bound, which was just about the 50s and about how, well, Marxist, socialist, leftists as a whole really, really hate the 1950s with a real pathological deep-seated hatred because it was a pretty successful time. Uh, a man could go to work and he could raise three or four kids on one salary. Neighborhoods were consistent and safe and, and all of that. And I remember reading this book about how women just felt so stifled at home and they just wanted to go out there and, you know, seize the day and yes, girl empowerment and so on. And so, yeah, we say, okay, there's some women are feeling unfulfilled at home. So the solution is women should work, you know, like these aren't solutions. And so what happens is people will say to you, well, here's a problem and here's the solution. Like climate change, there's a problem. What's the solution? Well, of course, the solution, even if we accept that the problem is imminent and catastrophic, the solution is complicated. It's challenging. It's not just about taxes, government power, government control, ending home ownership, massive communistic style control over the economy. Uh, that's, all, that's all dangerous, highly dangerous nonsense. So when people say, here's a problem and I have a solution, and they don't talk about the costs and benefits, they are, um, well, they're con men, they're grifters, they are uh, people who want to take your stuff and uh, control your life. So when it comes to women and working, we have this kind of peculiar aversion to talking about costs and benefits. And I've really been fascinated by the costs and benefits of women working outside the home boy, for as long as I can remember. Because remember, I grew up in a single mom household. I grew up in a poor household. Uh, I was in a welfare ghetto to a large degree. And, you know, I, it's not all upside. <laughs> it's really not all upside. And I've also seen that kind of bitter, lonely, isolated, beyond Pluto singularity that happens when people get divorced in a fit of pique and anger. And then later on, uh, don't really seem overly happy about it, that all of this grass is greener stuff that is imagined to be over the rainbow on the other side of the close encounters light over the horizon, all of that wonderful paradise that's just out of, out of sight when you're in a marriage that you're not particularly happy with in the moment, 
Well, you know, people detonate that marriage and they stalk off into the desert and die of lonely thirst because the oasis they're looking for doesn't materialize. No matter where you go, there you are. And of course, when you've had a whole bunch of failed relationships, well, there's, there's one common variable, and that's you. So I've seen all of that stuff and I've really been quite fascinated. So when people say, oh, well, women were feeling stifled at home and the solution was for them to go to work, well, that's, um, that's dumb. Like, that's just so profoundly unintelligent, it's hard to even know where to start. So there are costs and benefits. So yes, there are certainly benefits to women going to work, and I'm speaking in generalities here. And we've talked about those benefits ad nauseum, ad infinitum in society. I guess the question that I'm raising on Twitter these days is, okay, so that's happened. What are the costs? And any time anybody tells you they have a solution and doesn't talk about the downside, doesn't talk about the costs, doesn't talk about the negatives, it's a con and a very, very dangerous con in this particular case. So, yeah, benefits of women going to work. Some women feel more fulfilled. They are happier outside the home. They gain some, some sort of income and so on. And yeah, okay, these are all you know, positive things. And there are women out there in the world who should work if that's what they want to do. And they're far better suited to working than to raising uh, children. And I have no particular same thing with men. There are some men who are out there in the world and it's better that they're out there working than uh, raising children. Some people can be the worker ants and that's totally fine. They don't need to reproduce. It's not not an absolute requirement and so on. But that's very much the exception. Very much the exception. The vast majority of people want to get married and want to have kids. So we're going to talk about that. So what have been the downsides? Well, I've been talking about those downsides on Twitter, and you should really follow me on Twitter at Stefan Molyneux. Yeah, I mean, you could follow someone else, but, but why? It's the most fun Twitter account in existence, I believe. So what are the downsides? Okay, that's what I've been talking about. So one downside is uh, childhood uh, uh, obesity, right? So what happens? Women go to work. Now, when women go to work, they don't have as much time to cook, or they don't want to cook as much, or these days they seem to have completely lost the capacity to learn how to cook or to actually cook. So what happens? Well, you need a lot of frozen meals. You need a lot of meals in a pan, in a dish, in a freezer. And those meals generally taste pretty bad. I mean, they do strip out a lot of nutrients and they do strip out a lot of benefits from the food that's not sort of cooked, at least reasonably from scratch, in a kitchen by an actual human being who's close. And so this sort of anti-apron cooking that comes in, the food tastes pretty bad. So originally they would have the fat in the food, but then there was this whole ridiculous fat is Satan movement that went on. So they took the fat out and now everybody's buying frozen food that is fat free or reduced fat or low fat or something like that. But that stuff tastes like cardboard. It's kind of indistinguishable from the box the pizza comes in. So what do they do? Well, they have to make it taste better. So they just start adding sugar to every, every, everything. And you go through your average supermarket aisle, even if you're doing the right thing, supposedly, like you go around the outside, not in the middle. Uh, You don't buy anything with a packaging, not whose color is not found in nature, but there's sugar in just about everything. And that's because we no longer have the natural, normal, healthy, good taste of uh, food. And so it's all this artificial stuff. So yeah, you get a lot of, a lot of obesity from that. And you know, heart problems, incipient heart disease, and, and setting yourself up for future problems. And there's a reason why Certainly among the white population, I think in America these days, uh, there's a reason why life expectancy has fallen. And a lot of it has to do with, well, of course, a lot of it has to do with uh, the the, uh, opioid uh, drug crisis and and all that stuff. But a lot of it, I think, has to do with obesity 
and problems, uh, the, the generation that was raised uh, in daycares and with, with really terrible uh, food. And of course, once you get used to all of that kind of sugar, it's kind of like cocaine versus the high of hiking. You know, once you get used to cocaine, hiking doesn't give you that high. I've never tried cocaine, I love to hike. But it's the same thing, once you start bombarding your taste buds with sugar, it's such a drug that like normal food then just tastes kind of bland to you and it takes a while to really adjust your taste buds back to food that's sort of fit for and used to human consumption. So that's one thing that's happened. Now another thing that's happened, of course, is that uh, um, neighborhoods have become fragmented. They have largely ceased to exist. So they're called bedroom communities. And if you've been a stay-at-home parent, you know what I'm talking about, that if you're a stay-at-home parent, most of the other parents uh, in, the, um, in the neighborhood are going off to work and then their kids are in daycare. They get home in the evening. It's probably half dark or already dark. They got to eat. They got to help their kids with their homework. And then nobody's out playing. Nobody's out playing in the neighborhood. So one of the reasons for that, of course, is two parents working. But another one is without the, the moms being home, they don't have a good sense of, you know, the Boo Radleys of the neighborhood. You know, they don't have a good sense of who's safe, who's not, who to trust, who not to trust, how to street-proof their kids, how safe the neighborhood is, who's moved in, who's moved out. That underground drum-beating maternal knowledge of the neighborhood and its risks and advantages has kind of ceased to exist. So neighborhoods now are considered to be alarming. Some of that has to do with diversity, but of course some of it has to do with just women not being home to know the good and bad map of the neighborhood. And so people don't really feel comfortable just saying to their kids, yeah, just go play outside. Like I did when I was a kid, you just stay outside, stay outside. You build tree forts, you, uh, you set up your own games, you, you just come up with crazy stuff to amuse yourself when you have uh, no money, but lots of time and lots of mobility, lots of roaming in the gloaming. So what's happened is kids don't play outside anymore. They don't play in the neighborhood. And that means kids got to stay home. And that means, of course, video games. And when you video game, you snack. Like when we were out roaming around, we didn't bring snacks with us. You know, I remember reading some story about some, uh, some soccer game that was going on. And the mom came there with like a whole tray full of cut up oranges. And, and I think the dad said, it's an hour. They, they can live without eating for an hour. You know, they're, they're fine, right? So we'd be out there roaming around and we wouldn't have any money for snacks. We wouldn't bring snacks. And so you're consuming calories, you're exercising, and you're not ingesting weird space food <laughs> manufactured uh, uh, in some plant in Asia. So neighborhoods have collapsed, kids playing outside have collapsed. And what that means, of course, is that kids have to have uh, structure. If they're going to go anywhere, they have to have intermediaries who resolve disputes. Uh, and it costs a lot of money. You've got to drive in places, which is bad for the environment. So all of that, to me, is quite interesting also. With single motherhood, you have the absence of dads, which really raises symptoms of ADHD and other sorts of problems. So if you kind of look at the whole scenario of women going to work, it's questionable. It's questionable. If you look at the take-home, you know, after tax, after paying for a second car, after paying for commuting costs and dry cleaning costs and extra clothes costs, and after you pay for all of that, the childcare, the car, the clothing, the gas, the, you name it, right? And the student loans uh, and all of that. Are women really making that much money if they have kids? Well, the answer to that, of course, is no. Now, then, of course, women say, well, but you have to be independent in case your husband leaves you. But you see, that's not a solution. Again, anybody who says, well, there's just this solution and there's no downside and it's just the way things are. This is period. I call them the period people, you know, like it's this way. 
period, you know, he's just a bad guy, period. So women who say, well, I have to have my own income in case my husband leaves me, it's like, well, you do realize that relying on that means that you are going to be less committed to your marriage, right? Because if you say, well, I have to have my own income in case my husband leaves me, what that means is that you will choose, you're free to choose a less reliable husband, and you're also free to work less on your marriage because you have your own income. And so this idea that, well, it's just, you know, we've got a problem called men leaving women, and the solution is for women to have their own income. It's like, that's not, because everything you do changes everything. And so when women say, well, got to have my own income, what it means is that they're saying, I don't trust the guy I'm marrying enough to surrender to his uh, income. Now, of course, the guy has to trust you to not misspend his money, to not have an affair while he's out at work, to raise his kids well, uh, to, to cook, to, to be reliable, to, to not be lazy. And right, the man has to rely on you a whole bunch. What's his backup for that? Does he have like, a, in, case, in case of emergency, break glass for a better wife? Well, you know, polyamory, well, or poly, um, uh, polygamy while creeping into the West has not had much more than a toehold yet through immigrant communities. So there's no particular backup. So if the guy says, okay, well, I mean, imagine this, right? Some guy comes to you, you want to marry him. Say, so, ah, I want to marry you, he says. But you know, here's the thing. Ah, you might get fat, you might get lazy, you might get this, you might get that. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to have two wives or at least one wife and a girlfriend. And if you turn out not to be up to scratch, then what I'm going to do is I'm going to dump you and I'm going to move on to wife number two, who will then become wife number one. Maybe you'll stay wife number two. Uh, maybe I'll just kick you to the curb or whatever, right? So that's what, well, I mean, you'd be highly offended. You say, what do you mean you have a backup plan in case I'm not a good wife? If you don't think I'm going to be a good wife, why the hell would you marry me? Well, that's what men hear when, when you say, well, you know, I got to keep working because, you know, if you leave me, uh, I got to have an income, right? It's like saying, well, if you think I'm going to leave you, why the hell are you marrying me? You'd be offended if I had some backup wife. Uh, so why do you have backup income? Uh, it just means that you're going to work less at your marriage. And the other thing, of course, you know, female obesity is a huge problem. I, was, I read somewhere, I haven't verified it, but I've read like average weight for women in America is what, like 170 pounds, something like that. It's like, hmm, that is going to leave well, a couple of footprints in the snow, uh, about, about half a foot deep. So why have women become so overweight, particularly in America? Well, I mean, there's lots of reasons. And, you know, when I put out a, a reason and people say, well, there's more than one reason, it's like, yeah, I know. I, I get it. You know, if I, if I get hit by a particularly big raindrop and I say, wow, that was a big raindrop, and you say, well, there are other raindrops out there, you know, it's like, yeah, I know, I know, I, I, I get it, I get it. But one big reason is that... Um, women, when they had husbands that they wanted to hang on to, couldn't really afford to gain weight. Because if you gain weight, then your husband, again, he might leave you and, and bad things might happen. <laughs> yes, that's right. It's a little slippery. I'm kind of on an edge here, but uh, I like this backdrop. So when women end up relying on the government for money, then they don't have to worry nearly as much about gaining weight. Because although if they gain weight, their husband and, you know, it's not just a physical attraction thing. I mean, if, if you gain weight, your energy goes down, your sexual drive uh, goes down, you're shy, you're embarrassed, you, you're obsessed about it, you're guilty, you're, you, you have to get new clothes, it's expensive, uh, you, you won't be as fertile, you can't play as robustly with the kids. Uh, and, you know, it's a little bit embarrassing for a man to, to yeah, I guess P.S. Brosnan did it for a while, but it's kind of embarrassing for a man to show up at some sort of social function, particularly a corporate or professional function with... Uh, a, a fat wife and all that. Like, it's just, it's a big negative. And so uh, it's very disrespectful to your partner to, to gain weight. And it's the same thing for men, too. Like, men, you just don't, don't do it, man. Don't, don't get that rest a, rest a beer on your keg or gut beer belly. That's just a bad idea all around. 
So one of the reasons why women can afford to get more overweight is because the government is paying for their retirement for the most part. It's paying for a lot of their health care bills. They get, if things really go bad, they can just get welfare and so on. And so because women are married to the state and the state's not going to stop providing for them if they get overweight, well, they can afford to get fatter because they're not going to alienate their source of income, which would happen if they just had a husband. So that's bad. So you kind of add all this stuff up. You say, oh, well, women going into the workforce did add productivity. It sure did, but it also drove down wages enormously. So women going into the workforce, yeah, there's definitely some positives. The downsides are, well, you know, your neighborhoods collapse, your kids don't play outside, they're not as active, they get uh, fat, they get pre-diabetic, uh, they have uh, setting the stage for future heart disease, uh, women get uh, fatter, and, and if you sort of add all this extra costs in of like neighborhood destruction, of, of healthcare problems, uh, and, and the environmental damage of having women work as opposed to stay home, you start to put all of this stuff together and you get a clearer picture of the good, the bad, and the ugly of women going to work. Now, that haven't been said, of course. Hey, women, go out there, go work if you want. I'm not talking, I'm just, can we as a society have a rational conversation about the ups and downs, the pluses and the minuses, the good and the bad of women going to work? Because if it's just this monochromatic, it's just women is working as good and anyone who questioned it is a misogynist who hates women, you know, I... Uh, I don't really want to live in a world where people think that's any kind of intelligent response to a conversation. So anyway, thanks everyone so much for letting me share my thoughts. Please don't forget to help out the show. Please, I'm begging you. Freedomain.com forward slash donate. Have yourselves a great day. I'll talk to you soon.